With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Quinnen Williams, nose tackle, Alabama. Now, here's your host. Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today, we're joined by Michael Lombardi of The Athletic, host of the GM Shuffle Pod, longtime NFL executive who was out ahead about breaking the turmoil in the New York Jets front office, along with Tony Pauline, uh, which ultimately resulted, of course, in Mike McCannon and Brian Heimerdinger getting fired. Uh, we're going to jump into our interview with Mike in a few minutes. We talk for about 16 minutes uh, on a range of topics, including Adam Gase's potential as a head coach, uh, Joe Douglas as a prospective GM, uh, how the Jets need to go about improving their roster, uh, and some final thoughts about what went down and ultimately why the Jets decided to fire Mike McCagnin. Uh, as a reminder, before we get into the interview, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes. We're over 500 ratings now. Greatly appreciate that. Let's make it 600 now. Uh, we'll do another giveaway at some point this summer as well with some of our new gear that's rolling out. So make sure to check out our gear store at The Loyalist. Podcast is also available on Spotify, Google Play, TurnOnTheJets.com. You could follow me on Twitter at Jay Caparoso and submit questions for our Saturday mailbag podcast, which we're going to try to keep up with uh, for all these weeks up until training camp starts. Uh, we'll have a normal episode back again next Thursday. Um, as we're recording this, it's Wednesday morning. This will run Thursday morning. The Jets have not hired a general manager yet. They've completed all four interviews with Joe Douglas, Champ Kelly, Champ Kelly Scott Fitterer, and Tony Fontenot. Douglas still the perceived front runner, although there has been some rumblings that Fitterer impressed them. Longtime executive with the Seattle Seahawks has been there for about 20 years. Uh, so maybe he is rounding out to being the fallback candidate if they can't come to an agreement with Douglas. Hopefully this is sorted out in the next week or so. Uh, so it's something that's handled well in advance of training camp. So when more roster transactions are made, uh, the Jets have their front office in place to potentially make some additions to things like offensive line, cornerback, uh, any other place where they could use a little more depth. No major news so far coming out of minicamp. Great to see Le'Veon Bell in that Jets jersey. Everybody stay healthy. Uh, no drama is always the, the goal for minicamp. But you could stay with us on the Play Like a Jet feed for daily updates from Scott Mason and Chris Nimbley about what's going on in practice. Also have profile pieces on the top four candidates for the GM job. As it stands now, it's a four-person race with George Patton turning them down. So you have Joe Douglas uh, from the Philadelphia Eagles. You have Champ Kelly, who previously worked with Adam Gase at the Chicago Bears. You have Tony Fontenot, longtime executive for the New Orleans Saints. And you have Scott Fitterer, longtime executive for the Seattle Seahawks. It certainly seems like the pick will be one of those four guys. Uh, and expectations are that we get an answer in the next three to five days. Uh, but this has been a weird offseason, so it's hard to say for sure. So we are now joined by this week's guest of The Athletic and of the GM Shuffle podcast at The Athletic, longtime NFL executive, 
and someone who was out ahead of all the New York Jets front office turmoil before they did move ahead with firing Mike McCann, Mike McCagnan and Brian Heimerdinger, Michael Lombardi. Mike, thanks for joining us. It's good to be here, Joe. Hope you're doing well. So let's start off the top with someone the Jets do have in place, and that's Adam Gase, who is currently the head coach and the interim, interim GM. Now, I could be wrong, but I, I get the vibe that you're pretty bullish on the potential of Adam Gase as a head coach, despite some mixed results in Miami where he only went 23-25. and 25. Why should Jet fans be excited or potentially optimistic about Gase currently being the most powerful guy in their organization and their head coach for the foreseeable future? Well, I think there's a part of what, what people want. People always want fresh coaches. They want the Matt LaFleur, a guy who's never done it before. They want... You know, they want a young coach, Sean McVay. They want somebody who's never made a mistake before. And I think, ultimately, when you look at the success of coaches, it's through the mistakes that you learn the most. And when you get a guy who's a second-time head coach, he's made a lot of mistakes. And so maybe and if he's smart, he's going to learn from them. And so what the Jets are basing on is the Jets are saying to themselves, look, he served an apprenticeship with the Dolphins, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to basically benefit from that apprenticeship. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Looking at their top GM candidate, or the rumored frontrunner for the job, Joe Douglas of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, vice player, vice president of player personnel. He's been with the organization for a few years, including when they won the Super Bowl, spent a lot of time in Baltimore working under Ozzie Newsom. He seems to be the most popular name, not just with fans, but also in media circles. Why, when you look at Douglas's resume, should Jet fans think he is the best option for them at general manager? And why will he be different than Mike McCagden, the guy who theoretically had a somewhat similar resume when he became the general manager, longtime scout, uh, worked in the front office of an organization that had had some success? Why is Douglas differ- different and hopefully closer to a guy like Chris Ballard? Well, I think that, you know, Douglas is a little bit more in tune with the pro personnel game. I mean, Mike was always just about the college game, and he was brought up by Charlie Castle in that, in that college venue. And I think you really have to have a sense of, of pro to college. I think that's really more important. You know, the guy who's the director of college scouting doesn't understand the NFL. And if you don't understand the NFL, it's hard to have a conversation with your head coach about what's going on in the league and about what you need to do to be able to stay ahead of the curve. I think that's really important, you know, and you need to really go over the landscape of the league and understand how teams are playing. You know, these tight ends we call tight ends in the league today really aren't tight ends. They're big F receivers. So, you know, you got to be able to see what's going on in the league and then communicate to the scouts to say, hey, here's what we got to try to find, guys. We're no longer grading these tight ends like, like true tight ends. We're grading them like big receivers, and then there's an on-the-line Y. And so that diversity and that knowledge has to come from studying the pro game. And I think that's what the Jets have been missing for a long time. I think they've been scouting as an independent contractor. They try to fit pieces in instead of building a team. And I think it's been pretty obvious in the fact that they've never really addressed the offensive line, which is the cornerstone of any team. I mean, if you go take team building 101 at any sports management course, they'll draft offensive linemen, McKagan and and Heimendinger, you know, the first four years there, they didn't draft an offensive lineman in the first four rounds. I mean, that's really bad. And you draft two receivers, you know, back-to-back in one draft when, you know, everybody in the world knows you can get receivers in later rounds and you only, according to Bill Walsh, you only fix the receiver position when everything else is better on your team, when you've got everything else handled. So I think, you know, they need somebody with a broad spectrum of the NFL game. They need somebody that the coach is going to respect his knowledge of pro football. That's really important. You walk into your head coach's office, and you don't really understand the schemes in the league, and you don't understand 
all the way things are playing coverages and how they're handling things, that conversation is not going to go well, and I think that's what they need with whoever they hire. Can Douglas do that? I don't know Joe personally, but I'm assuming he can. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. The other candidate who seems to be gaining a little hype or a little traction is not a very well-known name, uh, Scott Fitterer. He's been with the Seattle Seahawks for almost two decades now, a rarity in the NFL for someone to be with an organization for that long. Um, what do you, what should Jet fans know about this guy? He's not someone that is commonly mentioned as like a future GM candidate. He's not someone who's done too many interviews recently outside of the Jets, to my knowledge. If they don't ultimately land Douglas, looking at that next tier, a guy like Fitterer, a guy like Fontenot from the Saints, and Champ Kelly from the Chicago Bears, who of those other three kind of jump off the page to you in terms of having the most potential in terms of working with Gase and building something sustainable here in New York? Well, I think the most important thing is they got to find a partnership. And I think that's what Christopher Johnson realized when he fired McCaggan, is they need a partnership. They need somebody to work with Gase. And I think, I think it's been portrayed wrongly. I think some people have their feelings hurt because they didn't know that McCaggan was going to get fired and they feel like they were lied to. So there's some reporting that's going on that I don't think is actually fair to Gase. Gase is not power hungry. Gase wants a partnership with the general manager. I think Gase has no problem acquiescing the 53 to somebody, but he wants somebody in that building that he can work together with, which is what the NFL is about. The dynamic that's going on in New York with the Giants in terms of the, the GM controls the player and the coach just coaches, that's so 1980-ish it doesn't work. And I think what the Jets have finally realized that the partnership between McKagan and, and Gase wasn't going to work. In fact, Christopher Johnson kind of was convinced that, you know, Bowles was the problem, and he fired Bowles. Really didn't want to fire Bowles. He liked Bowles a lot. But I think McKagan convinced him to fire him, and then he realized, wait a minute, this could be as bad, and then he had to fire McKagan. So he needs a partnership. So whoever they pick, it's going to be a partnership, and it's not going to be one individual's talent. It's going to be the partnership's talent that comes together that builds the team. That's the most important thing. You know, we have this notion about scouts that this guy's got to find, this guy can find this player, find that player. The organization finds the players. The ability to develop a grading system, the ability to develop the partnership between the coaches and the scouts, that's what finds talent. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. How does this, I mean, we've got the broad strokes, but how does this situation play out where a guy like McCandon and Heimerdinger basically led the interviews for their coaching search? They talked to Matt Rule. They seemed close to landing him. Ultimately, they settle on Adam Gase, allegedly pushed over the hump by a phone call from Peyton Manning. How does this situation happen where McCandon and Heimerdinger consent or really lead the decision to hire Adam Gase, and then eight weeks later, that situation is so untenable that the Jets need to move on. Now, I do think it's being unfairly portrayed. GMs general have gotten fired at this time of the year before. It's not completely unheard of. But how does a situation flip that quick? Well, I think I think that Christopher Johnson doesn't really know. Didn't know his organization. I think he just didn't. I think if you look at the Matt Rule situation, Matt Rule wasn't going to let McCagan determine his coaching staff. So Matt Rule walked away, which is the right thing for Matt Rule to do. Matt Rule is going to have a lot of options down the road. He's a really good coach. You know, he's going to have more than opportunities to be the head coach of, a, of an NFL team. So he wasn't going to let two guys control his future when he wasn't sure. Look, everybody was telling coaches that interviewed for the tech job that that front office wasn't exactly buttoned up. I mean, just look at the roster. You don't need to be an Einstein, you don't need to be Einstein to figure out the Jets roster wasn't very good. The guy sitting over in Yonkers today, he knows that, you know. And so his coaches coming in for an interview, they were as concerned as anybody about what 
be laid out for them. And I think that finally got to Christopher Johnson. So there's a lot of mischaracterization in terms of the power struggles that are going on. I don't see it that way. I think what, what Mike and Brian misinterpreted was when they went out and hired a guy like Adam or anybody who wanted to be able to control their future, they were going to have to button up their game and they couldn't do it. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Looking at how the Jets are currently built and structured as a roster, so much is going to come down to Sam Darnold, a guy who finished the season strongly in a a pretty tough situation considering the personnel around him and how he was being coached. How optimistic should Jet fans be about a guy in Darnold who's only 22 years old, showed a a lot of potential as a rookie, certainly had his down moments, including a game in Miami where he threw four interceptions, didn't play at the level of a Baker Mayfield, but Baker Mayfield's a few years older. Is Darnold, does he have enough talent and potential to make that Wentz-Goff-like leap uh, and potentially cover up some of the other warts on this roster that they left from sort of a somewhat incomplete offseason in some spaces? Yeah, well, look, I think uh, I, I don't think it's going to. I think Darnold's going to be a really good player. I think it's going to come down to how they rebuild these offensive and defensive lines. I mean, that's going to be the key to football, right? I mean, they they're trying to play Kelvin Beachum at left tackle. We know that doesn't really work very well against really good competition. You know, Brandon Shell's still the right tackle. Are they going to get better there? You know, that, I think it's going to come down to their offensive line and how they protect them. You can only do so many things to protect the quarterback. You know, and last year you saw there were flashes of of Darnold, whether it was the Tennessee game, whether it was you know, late games in the stretch, they had t- opportunities to win those games and they just couldn't close it out. They're just not good enough talent-wise. That overall talent base of that football team was not very good. Go back and look at the drafts. Go back and look at the free agent signings. I mean, that team, for me, when, when the season ended, I thought, from my viewpoint, the GM was going to get fired first, not the coach. I, I'm not defending Todd Bowles. I think certainly making the decision to fire Johnny Morton to hire Jeremy Bates really was wrong. It was really wrong at the time, and it caused a lot of dysfunction within the organization. So, you know, I, I'm not apologizing for Todd Bowles. However, that being said, anybody who had any sense of, of evaluating teams knew the Jets team was poorly constructed and was really bad last year. And for them to win what they won was almost a miracle. And to be in close games, it really was. So, uh, for me, you know, I think that was really what, what look forward to. But Darnold, I, I don't think Darnold's the problem. I think he's the solution. How they spent money this offseason, the biggest headline additions, Le'Veon Bell, C.J. Mosley. Looking at Mosley, I don't think anybody doubts he's a great football player and a potential you know, culture changer, leader on the defense. Is there any concern about investing that much money in the inside linebacker position where he basically reset the entire market and is getting $17, $18 million a year with how today's NFL is and how certain offenses might try to spread you out? Is there any concern in allocating that many resources to inside linebacker, along with interior defensive line where the Jets have used multiple first-round draft picks and also handed out a big contract to Henry Anderson? It seems like the Jets are more building with size and building up the middle. Um, could that potentially be problematic when they face off against a team like New England who's gonna, who has the ability to spread them out, or a team like the Eagles or the Browns? What did you think about how they've built and well, sort of invested that defense? I think they got real, you know, I mean, look, C.J. Moe is a really good player, but they clearly overpaid him. I mean, anybody you're paying 17 or $18 million that doesn't impact the game in terms of passing is going to be a problem. Mosley's a good on all three levels of the defense. He's not great. I mean, there's always a difference between, you know, a world-class player and guys that have world-class moments. And I think Mosley has those world-class moments. I don't think he's a world-class player. 
they overpaid that, but that's what you have to do is sometimes it'll screw up your salary structure because, again, they haven't really drafted very well. I mean, Darren Lee wasn't what they thought he was going to be, and so they had to cover up for that. So, you know, look, I, I think the Jets are going to have to find a way to be able to rush the passer, create some tension on third down, passing downs, because as teams, look, the whole game spread. Nobody's playing just you know, nobody's playing two backs in the backfield except New England. You know, and so you're going to have to be able to defend the width of the field and the length of the field, and I think sometimes that's going to prove to be problematic for them. Offensively, their major additions, Le'Veon Bell, Jamison Crowder, and Kelechi Osemele, uh, to add some support to that offensive line, which we know is still likely a problematic area for them as they have not addressed the center position. Looking at the two maybe more questionable spots on their offense, how much of a trickle-down effect on the offensive line could a question mark at center have? The Jets didn't sign Mitch Morris or Matt Paradis. They're just going with Jonathan Harrison, who was their backup last year, as it stands right now. At receiver, you have Crowder joining Robbie Anderson and Quincy Inouye. How do you feel about that center position and that wide receiver group? And is there anything left to be done from an acquisition standpoint to potentially boost either of those groups? Well, look, I've never bought the offensive line for the for the Jets. I think Brian Winters is a liability as well. I don't think they're very solid inside. Assembly's going to have to prove that he can play a lot better than he did the Raiders last year. So there's really, to me, three question marks. I know they paid Winters a lot of money, but if you watch Winters on tape, Winters makes a lot of mental mistakes. He struggles. The combination of him and Shell together on the same side, it creates some problems. I think if you go back to, to the Carolina game where they had some missed calls in terms of the communication, gave up the sack that ultimately cost them that game two years ago, I think that's still the problem. So, you know, I, I think the Jets have to rebuild that offensive line. You're only going to be able to do that in the draft. There's no great offensive lineman just walking along the street. They're hard to find, and I think they're going to be difficult to find, so you're going to have to draft it, and you're going to have to rebuild it. Offensive lines take two years to build. They don't just come together in one year. You know, you're, if you're looking for a left tackle the year you need a left tackle, you're going to, have, you're going to be looking for a left tackle for a long time. Final question, looking at the rest of the AFC East outside of New England, who is going to be the favorite to win the division every single year until they stop winning the division. You have Buffalo, who probably fancies themselves as a similar spot to the Jets, potentially an ascendant wild card contender. You have Miami, who seems to be embracing a full rebuild with a new you know, org structure and how they're going about it. If you had to project who is the most likely team to finish second place to New England this year, who do you think that is? And do you think there's another team in the AFC East who has any chance of getting over 500 this year? I think it's Buffalo. I think Buffalo is really a good team. They added a lot of pieces. They rebuilt their offensive line. They hired a new offensive line coach. I think Josh Allen's got to prove he can be accurate. They've added to their defensive front. I mean, Buffalo's done a lot of different things. And I think that, you know, they won six, six or seven games last year. I mean, I think they're a lot closer than you think they are. And if Josh Allen plays well with his size, his speed, and he proves his accuracy, I think they're a pretty good football team. All right. Michael Lombardi, appreciate you for joining us. Everyone follow him on Twitter at MLombardiNFL. Follow his podcast, GM Shuffle, and follow his writing at The Athletic. Thank you for joining us, Mike. Hopefully the Jets hire a GM Thanks, Joe. I appreciate you. Thank you, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye.